welcome to episode number 40 of Attention Engineer. I'm Laura Kidd, a music producer, songwriter, and solo artist making music as pen friend and beaming into your ears from my studio, The Launchpad, in Bristol. Oi, Miles, what are you doing? Oh, you said do the intro for the show. Yeah, but I didn't know you were going to impersonate me. Bloody musicians. Go and stand over there for a minute. I'll be with you in a sec. All right. Hi, I'm Laura and welcome to my, my podcast the absolute cheek of him. Seriously though, I'm so delighted that my friend Miles Hunt took me up on the offer of turning the tables on me for this special episode, celebrating the release of my fifth solo album, Exotic Monsters. Yes. Let's get into it. Yeah, I'm going to awkwardly ramble till you stop me because <laughs> I'm so <laughs> awkward about being this side of the conversation but it's so cool that you're doing it thank you so much for agreeing to hang out again thanks for asking have we begun I guess we have yeah because I, I, I my instinct is to ask you questions about my album well that's yeah, <laughs> great because that means I don't have to answer any <laughs> all right so hello laura kid hi and uh thank you for asking me to do this my my, my first uh, inquiry really is why on earth would you invite someone as contrary as me to uh interview you for your album release are, are you looking to to have a fight or get someone off your chest <laughs> Do you know what? I was asking myself this question last night. I was like, what? Interesting I chose Miles to ask about this. <laughs> the reason I wanted to ask you to ask me things mm-hmm. is because I don't think it will ever be normal to me that I'm in touch with you because you are someone, you are someone whose music I've listened to pretty much my whole life. Okay. So it blows my mind that we even ever met and that you listen to my stuff and that you've been so supportive. So why not just get really petrified <laughs> someone who I really respect? Yeah, I know that you know what you're talking about when it comes to songs. We had such a nice chat last year for your episode of this podcast. We did. And it's always as lovely to chat to you. So I thought that's a, quite a good excuse, isn't it? But also because, yes, you are known as a contrarian, I thought that's better because if I wanted some sort of slick pr aren't I so fucking fabulous thing. I could probably just do that myself or like, you know, ask someone to just read some questions or something. But I, yeah. I mean, I would never do that though. Cause that's so gross. Yeah. But I didn't also didn't want to be like too humble and shy and retiring about my own work and put, you know, put all of this time into exploring other people's albums and other people's work through this series and then just go, got an album out, let's gloss over that and move on to someone else's because that's really silly. That's so silly. Yeah. But it is kind of what I probably would have done if I hadn't just bitten the bullet and emailed you. So Okay, good. All right. Well, you've answered that. Thank you very much. Well, I just knew you weren't going to make it into some glossy, nonsense, pointless thing. Yeah, we, we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> oh, no. My experience of being the uh, interviewer yeah. is it's a long, long, long time ago when I used to work at MTV Europe and um, 
I've told you before, I, I, mm. interviewing bands was my absolute least favourite thing to do. I, I got strangled by Flea from um, Red Hot Chili Peppers and have had a deep, deep loathing of them ever since that happened. Oh, wow. um, but then I had like interviews with Rollins, Henry Rollins, and at the end of the interview he slipped me a piece of paper with his phone number and his emails and like Aww. get in touch. So there were some nice ones, but 99% of them were awful experiences. And uh, so I've had a little bit of anxiety, even though we're <laughs> friends, yes. going into this because it's it's just reminded me of the anxiety I would feel every single time I'd be put in front of another band. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, okay, so Laura Kid, who are you? <laughs> I know we're uh, we're friends. You're five albums into this, yeah. and you give a lot of yourself away in your lyrics. They're very real. They're very human. They're very confessional. But who are you? Where'd you grow up? Oh well, okay. Who am I is a constantly evolving question. I would say, and something that I explore okay all the time when I'm writing my songs. Uh huh. So. It's very interesting, actually, thinking about trying to share this stuff in a coherent way for people who might have been following some of my music for potentially a decade, Mm -hmm. but probably don't know me because, yeah, it's easy to think. I mean, I think that it's really obvious who I am because of, I mean, I'm in here, so I know, like I know all (laughs) of the bits that I put out there on social media and email newsletters and videos and songs and everything. So to me, they're very coherent, but it would be really interesting to know what other people think, you know, who other people think I am. I'm sort of evading the question. I grew up. Yes, you are. In, very skillfully. <laughs> in a family who were very nomadic. Ah. My dad was in the Royal Air Force. Uh-huh. So um, I grew up moving all the time. Every three years we moved house. Okay. And that has been a source of great, how would I say it? Kind of sadness and loneliness in my life. Okay. So it's something that's really, I've tried to explore so that I can move past a lot of that stuff on the, on the last two albums anyway. I think before that I was just ignoring it. Um, right. But it was really, 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 really tough as a kid to move every three years because you're always, you've got the wrong accent. You've, you know, learned the wrong things at school. You don't know anyone's history. Um it's, it's not so bad when you're at services schools. So I went to one of those. We lived in Cyprus for three years and we went to a school, my brother and sister and I, that was full of kids from other forces families. So that's fine because right. everyone's used to everyone being new and you might only be there for a year and then go and stuff. But coming back from that to England was a nightmare Oh, because you just go straight into being the bullied one because no one knows you. They've right. all known each other for years. The curriculum was different, so... And, you know, in the 90s, no one was interested in people being good at school. That was not celebrated, you know. Right. So it was very hard, very, very hard. Believe me, it was worse in the 80s and 70s. (laughs) But with better bands, though. (laughs) Arguably. I don't know. I love 90s music. So, yeah, that was was really hard. Um, I've got an older brother and a younger sister. Um, We all live very separated around the country, so we haven't seen each other for a year and a half which sucks. Okay. Um, and yeah, so that was that was the main thing about my childhood, I think, is that we were moving all the time. I want to interject a little something there, though. Um, when you were thrust into these new environments, you know, new schools mostly, yeah. did you or were you ever tempted to, because I have a little bit of experience, not, not my entire school in life, but when I was very young, I, I moved between three or four schools quite quickly. I think mm. I did like less than a term at three or four schools, uh, junior school anyway. And um, at two of them, 
I assumed a new identity. <laughs> so right. uh, the, the first thing I've got is my name. It w- was unusual then. Uh, I'm not athletic or sporty. I was incredibly shy. So mm. when I got to the third school and thought, oh, God, not this again, I told them that my name was Stephen, which wasn't a complete lie. It's my middle name. Mm. But I had a little word with the teacher and I said, I want to be called Stephen. And I did it so Miles wasn't there. Right. Uh, it, even uh, that was about eight, age or nine. That that was what I was trying to do. I was trying not to be there. I wanted to go completely unnoticed. I wasn't bullied particularly. But did that ever occur to you that you could be? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Such a clever idea. I love that. No, it didn't. It didn't. Mm. I mean, it's it's hard to remember exactly, you know, what was going through my mind. I think I was just in survival mode, to be honest. And right. I just found it really, really hard. And um, I think a lot of girls grow up with a lot of weird body issues. I had a lot of that stuff going on and just very mm-hmm. much wanted to disappear. Yeah. I was taller than other people, so I, so I would slouch. You know, okay. all of that. It's just kind of trying to disappear into yourself. So, yeah, because none of the artistic stuff was happening when I was a kid, apart from I was good at music right. um, and I learned lots of different instruments and was always like in different music groups at school. But um, any of the visual stuff, like I, I didn't know you could learn to do any of that stuff. It just wasn't right. clear to me that there was a process for making anything. It's like I just thought you were either good at stuff or you weren't good at stuff. And so I think that's why now I'm all about like showing the process because I just want people yeah. to know, like, because I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. So all of the things I do now, I mean, it's it's clear to me after having a big think about it recently <laughs> that it's all just to do with trying to fix or not fix her, the, the little girl me, but like if I could have given her some advice or some help, encouragement, words of encouragement, the kind of the encouragement that I feel I didn't get because people didn't know that I needed it, I think. Right. So, yeah, I mean, my family were always, you know, supportive of what I was doing, but I think they, they didn't know. I think if you, if you're not an artistic person, you might not know how much nurturing someone could benefit from. Yeah. You know, so I just didn't feel I had that from anyone when I was growing up. So that's been a hard thing for me to deal with. Okay. In the Stephen Jones interview, though, you mentioned that, and I think I knew this anyway because of conversations you had with Erica when we were on tour together. Yeah. You did start playing the violin when you were, what, seven? Seven, yeah. And that's the same age Erica started, yeah. <laughs> and she's um, so good. <laughs> it's nothing to do with what age you start, is it? <laughs> well, she she was lucky in so much as her dad was a music teacher. yeah. And yeah, yeah. so, um, although he did, he did say to me, you know, I, I can teach anyone the guitar to a certain level. Yeah. But of course, my my one child that wanted to learn an <laughs> instrument wasn't remotely interested in the guitar. So he had ended up having to pay uh, a violin yes. teacher, which always amused me when he would bring that up. Um, but are you, are you, are you siblings? Is it, is it, were they musical? Are they musical? My little sister, she, um, she played the bass for a while. Okay. We were actually in... The first version of She Makes War was me, her, and someone else. Mm. She was playing bass. She's great. And my brother's not musical. Okay. And during that um, sort of being the outsider around school, when I had the, the school where I became Stephen, there, w- there mm. was another outsider. He's a little Asian <laughs> kid. Um, and the first house that we lived in when I was born was in Aston, you know, on the outskirts mm. of Birmingham City Centre. A few doors down from Ozzy Osbourne's birthplace. <laughs> nice. Tri- trivia fans. Um, <laughs> and uh, there was a big Asian community there. And my, my parents were piss poor. I mean, I think there was three 
three families, at least two, maybe three families living in our house when I was born. And uh, we loved the Asian families because they, they were always so generous Mm. Uh, and, you know, bringing around food when they cooked up loads of curries and pakoras and stuff. And so the, so when I was at the school where I was having a difficult time, I spotted the other outsider. Um, I think his name was Aftab, and he was a little Asian kid, and he got skinhead. It was like the first skinhead I'd ever seen, like a proper mm. num- number one, which freaked me out a little bit. But he was the other outsider. He would sit on his own at the bottom of the field at playtime, and I thought, i got to go – where, I got to go with that guy. And yeah. it, it wasn't just to sort of try and make him feel better. It was just try and make me feel better. But <laughs> I, I, I wasn't the only outsider. And I, then yeah. I think that that set me up for just looking for outsiders my entire life, mm. which there certainly were. I think it has changed a lot now. And it was definitely different when, when we met American artists for the first time. Musicians of the 70s and 80s, tended to be outsiders looking for some sort of belonging. I get the sense it's different now. It seems like, you know, joining a band, getting your YouTube videos up and stuff, it seems a lot more acceptable to people younger than you and I anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think so. doesn't seem like the sort of thing that parents are going to be annoyed at now. It's like, yeah, you can go for the celebrity life or, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't pretend to understand what it must be like. I'm so glad I grew up when I did because yeah. I'm so excited still by the fact that I can send an instant message to someone. It genuinely is cool to be able to yeah. do that. And I remember when I couldn't, but I'm also really pleased that my childhood wasn't full of social media and internet connectivity because I could actually go home and not have bullies having a go at me all night. Right, right. You know, and I really feel for people now who feel like they're outsiders, who who are outsiders, who can't get a fucking break from that. Yeah. Yeah. So I am so glad that I didn't have Instagram when I was a teenager. I just think it would have been awful. It would have been horrific. I just disappeared into reading books, loads of books. I disappeared into writing letters to people. So it wasn't that I was unsociable. It was just that the people at school were so mean to me. Like I, couldn't, <laughs> right. I had a f- handful of friends, but most of the time it would be honestly just like disappearing to the library and sitting and reading science fiction books. I got super into John Wyndham. And I remember the okay. librarians look at me like, hmm, this is odd. <laughs> What's this girl doing? <laughs> doing all Day of the Triffids and all this other stuff. Um, and then, yeah, writing letters, I've, I found pen pals. I think we found them in like kids magazines or something. There, there yeah, was, they there was were, a sort yeah. of formalized way of finding people. Uh-huh. I had a I had a pen pal in Russia, I had a pen pal in Derbyshire who I'd never met. And then whenever I went on like I was in the guides and brownies and stuff. And so you'd sort of meet people who you got on with who weren't in school or yeah. maybe they were in other schools or whatever. And I would write them letters and I'd write my friends at school letters too and we'd all write each other long letters because there was no email and stuff. There's no texting. So yeah, yeah. That's obviously the root of the pen friend thing. It yeah. just it, it I I realized how resonant those words and all of that stuff was to me when I wanted to change the name of, you know, the project that I was using to make music with. Uh And so I just was trying to really go back to like, well, who am I really? Like you're asking me, who am I? (laughs) Not, not who am I in the last five years, 10 years? Mm -hmm. Like who am I really deep down? And that stuff, just that urge to be in communication with people, but in communication with like-minded people. And so, you know, when I was at school, the like-minded people weren't necessarily there, but they might've been at the other school or, you know, they would have been on the internet somewhere. I could have had a chat with them there. But like I say, I'm glad that I didn't have that then. That's that's interesting as well because the the writing of letters to to I suppose strangers, particularly yeah. the ones you find in the back of magazines. I had a, <clears throat> I didn't buy Kerrang, but one of my mates did, 
yeah. when we were about 16 to 17. And he was doing a pen pal thing with uh, kids in Tokyo that were seriously <laughs> into heavy metal. Right. And he hooked me up. It was a girl called Tomomi Yamamoto. And I've still got all of the little things that she would send me. She, she I've got a ticket uh, that she sent me of the, um, the ticket stub of her going to see the Michael Schenker group in Tokyo in probably like 1980 or something. Um, but that's interesting. So that so the pen pen pal or pen friend thing when you were a kid was basically you reaching out. Yeah. And and that's exactly what the, the music's doing now, isn't it? You're yeah. you're reaching out <laughs> into the world. Exactly. Exactly. I like that. Yeah, and there's something about writing letters. I mean, I, I, I started writing letters again to close friends a couple of years ago. So probably, yeah, beginning of 2019, I got really back into typewriters. I love typewriters. I got yeah, given a typewriter by my granddad when I was really little and he passed away shortly afterwards. So it's like the, mm-hmm. the thing he gave me, you know, as a little kid. I didn't I didn't get to know him very well. Right. Um, and then I watched this brilliant documentary called California Typewriter. I love it. Ooh. It's so good. And it made me want to buy another typewriter. So I bought another typewriter. One that's really easy and comfortable to use because the one my uh-huh. granddad gave me isn't very comfortable. Sorry, granddad. So uh-huh. I got this other one and I started typing letters to my friends. And it was such a nice thing because there's just something about the fact that, yes, it's it's analogue, it's on paper. You're printing, you know, especially on a t- obviously on a typewriter, you're printing something in real time. That's really cool. I like that thing. Yeah, yeah. And also you just feel freer to really go deep on things. So uh-huh. email exchanges are very kind of surface level. I don't know if people still use them as if they were letters, but I don't. It's very like conversational, short. A letter just seems to be, it's, it's more like a kind of meditation, musing. You'll just go further and deeper into something. Yeah, You can just be so truthful and honest that way. And and I was just thinking a lot when I started making this album about going deeper. Right. Because it really bothers me how surface level things have become with Twitter and everything. But that's uh-huh. because of the medium. The medium makes that happen. Because you can't be nuanced and, and really detailed in a tweet. It's 280 yeah. characters. Yeah. So it changes the way that we communicate. And I just thought, I don't want you know, a piece of technology to change the way I communicate in all ways. That's not, that's just, that's weird. That's so dystopian. I'm not into that. So yeah. I thought I'm going to, I'm going to reclaim that thing that I loved so much, which is writing letters to my friends. And so I started doing that. And then of course that all led towards, oh, well, I, I'm their pen friend. Oh, pen yeah. friend. That's a good one. <laughs> that works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it just deepens relationships. It's such a beautiful thing to do. And then I realized, yeah, the, the music I'm sending out are my truthful letters. You know, it's yeah. a considered thing. It's not just a dashed off idea. It's something I've spent a lot of time, a lot of thought on and is very, yeah, very honest and true. And you use the word confessional and I think they are confessional. I think these songs particularly have been very cathartic for me because it's made me really go back very, very far back and, and deal with some shit that's just been yeah causing problems in my right. day-to-day life recently. And I think if... If there's any way to face up to things that are from the past that are stopping you from being fully you now, then like songwriting is a really good way of doing it. But I think also, yeah, diary writing, letter writing and all of that stuff, yeah. just any kind of thing where you're giving yourself that time to process things because we can feel like there's no time to do that, you know, because everything's so fast and, you know, life's so quick and there's so much information and the, the internet, you can never read the whole internet. So you've got to keep scrolling, it's never ending. <laughs> and it's all the news feed. It's very important yeah. news. We've got to keep up with all the news today. Yeah. But it's not news. It's just the sort of garbage thoughts of random people I may or may yeah. not know online, yeah. plus some gold, plus some really interesting, useful things. I just wanted to go deeper with everything. I thought, 
why am I spending any time on anything if it's not of value to me and to others? Yeah. I'm not interested in spilling garbage onto the internet. No interest in that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's all a conscious thought of like, how do I, yeah, do stuff that's meaningful, that helps me and helps others. And that's, that's what this project has become for me. And the podcast is like, um, what are you, 40 episodes almost mm. now, or have you surpassed that? This is episode 40. Oh, is it? Okay. Four, yeah. my favourite number. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. But uh, so having these conversations, I mean, I, I've enjoyed, I, I haven't gone through every single one. I've sort of cherry-picked yeah. the people that I that I would already know who they are. Yes. Um, a couple of them, uh, I haven't known who they are until I, I've, I've listened to them. But you started the podcast around the same time, and this is a question, I guess, um, that you were writing the new record. It was all happening around the same time? Yes. So I started started writing the album in February 2019, and I, and I had been already thinking about this podcast for years. I just mm-hmm. thought, I need to do a podcast. I definitely want to do a podcast because when I was yeah. really little, I wanted to work in radio. Yeah, yeah. I've made zero efforts towards working in radio. So it's not like a dream <laughs> I've never fulfilled. I just remember saying it when I was really little. Yeah. What do you want to do when you grow up? One of the things was I wanted to be a railway porter. Wow. That is very specific. I'm not sure they exist. I think that's a very posh sort of, not posh because you're not the posh person, but posh people might have a porter. Is that what it is? So I kind of wanted to be a servant. Is that what I wanted to be? Yeah, it's it's probably from some of those sort of romantic children's stories, like, you know. uh, Yeah. Or like the butler or something. There was always a a friendly (laughs) porter. (laughs) Yeah. That, you know, that that helped your day along. Yeah. So So that was one dream. I, I decided not to pursue that one either. But yeah, I wanted to be on the radio. But see, this was also tied in with thinking that, and this is, again, I don't know how many people out there feel felt the same way. It's just such a waste of time. But I was so obsessed with the fact that like, no one would want to look at my face. Okay. I thought I was so awful looking that no one would want to look at my face. So, so I knew that I had to become the funny one. So I would always have a friend who was really pretty and I would define myself as the funny one. Okay. Which is better than thinking you're really amazing to look at and not making any effort in life probably but it was yeah. a bit of a weird thing I had in my head my, my whole childhood okay and so the radio thing possibly was because really I wanted to be on telly I thought oh I won't be able to do that so let's dial it back and you know six years of age or eight years of age why are you dialing back your dreams I mean that's silly isn't it that's the time to go I yeah. want to be an astronaut I want to be whatever <laughs> rock star whatever it is so yeah, radio was a thing that was in my head as a kid. Like I wanted to to speak and, and be heard and um and it be in that format. So podcasting, when I started getting into listening to them, I just knew I wanted to make something, but I didn't know what I wanted to make. I knew what I didn't want to make, which is more useful sometimes. I knew I didn't want it to be just me banging on about myself, which is what some podcasts are. <laughs> and I thought I want it to be something where I can be learning from other people while also creating a space for those people to be heard. Yeah, yeah. And so genuinely, you were one of the very first people I wanted to ask, but I just thought I've got to practice first because he knows what he's doing. (laughs) And he's been interviewed so much, just didn't want to do a shit job. So um, people like yourself who, I mean... I hate the word underrated because it implies people haven't succeeded. So I'm, I don't mm-hmm. think you're underrated, but I think you're probably someone who hasn't been given enough of a chance to explain how great you are or how, like, how great your songwriting oh, is. Oh, I've had plenty of chances, Laura. <laughs> oh, that's good. I just really wanted to delve into the songwriting process of people like you, people like Stephen Jones, people like yes. Tanya Donnelly, so that I would also learn, though. 
you know. Uh, is, is there been a particular interview of a particular individual during the process of, of writing Exotic Monsters that did have a specific effect on any one song? That had you not been the podcast, your your uh, your sort of thought process wouldn't have gone that way. I ooh, that's a really good question. I don't think so, but I think cumulatively, yeah, they gave me the confidence that I was doing the right thing. If you see what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I always try to ask questions that are different from what someone who doesn't make music would ask. So not how do you write a song? Because <laughs> there are so many different ways you can write a song, but there also aren't that many different ways you can write a song. And when yeah. I'm talking to someone who doesn't know me, which is, you know, most of the time on, on the podcast, I don't, or also really aware, I don't want to ask questions that make it sound like I don't know how to write a song because I know how I write my songs. Yeah, yeah. But also giving them space to talk about stuff. So I, I ask more specific things about like, you know, home recording or their hopes and dreams and things like that. Yeah. I enjoyed and was surprised uh, with Mark Chadwick that the lyrics were always the last thing. That, uh, and yeah. it, it, it was quite nice because he said he sits with a guitar, puts something together, finds a, a, a vague melody in his head and just sort of sings rubbish. Yeah. Uh, I think was the word he used. But, um, <laughs> and that that forms into something later on, either when he sits down to, to write the lyrics on his own or writes with Simon or whoever else he's writing with in the levelers. And that's exactly, I guess, what I do. I write little couplets mm. in notebooks occasionally. Um, so it, it, I was interested that Mark Chadwick would say that because there's, he, he doesn't, as he was happy to tell us all on, on your podcast, you know, he doesn't sing bullshit. There no. is, you know, there is very specific meanings by in all of his lyrics, not behind even they're in the lyrics. They're yeah. obvious. He's, he's got something to say. There's something he wants to discuss with the listener. So I was surprised that he said the lyrics are last. Yeah, I, I I imagined he might be a guy that's constantly writing out entire songs. Yeah, in a notebook, and then go, okay, that needs editing or that needs tightening up there because it no longer fits the melody. Blah blah blah. blah. So that that yeah. was surprising. And uh, but I, I suppose essentially, I mean, the question I despise, two questions I despise the most are, uh, what would you have done with your life if you hadn't have become the guy at the Wonder Stop? And I would say, I'd still be trying to be the guy in the Wonder Stop. <laughs> And uh, what comes first, you know, lyrics or music? Oh it's just like, yeah. I don't what fucking know. What difference and, does it make? Ex yeah. What, like, if I Why gave you, you a definitive answer. Yeah. But it's amazing how much those two questions come up. You're like, yeah. well, once I tell you that, what can we do with it? What can <laughs> exactly. we do with that information? Exactly. I find that stuff frustrating. So, but what was good and definitely informed the album was knowing that I am not as weird as I thought. And that I'm doing things in similar ways to lots of people who I admire because yeah. there's a process to it that's not magical. Yeah. The whole thing, I think, is magical. And we talked yeah. about that, about being a conduit for songs and that kind of yeah. idea. I think there's, yeah, there's stuff going on that we can't explain and that, that's fine. I don't need to explain everything away. I love magic. That's cool. Yeah. But there, yeah, there's limited things. <laughs> that, that, that There are limited responses. And about halfway through the series so far, I started thinking... Well, I'm going to have to come up with some new questions for people because it's just going to be the same boring thing. And then I thought, but it's not though, is it? Because everyone is going to talk differently. And I think in the last maybe 10, 15 episodes, it's become even more conversational because yeah. I prep loads beforehand because I want to respect my guests. I don't want to be uh, like, oh, I saw this thing on Wikipedia. Oh, but I, oh no, that's wrong, isn't it? You know, it, I want to respect them and and them to feel like they're with someone who... 
is going to be supportive of them having space to speak, basically, and to, to really yeah. get into things. But also, it's just about not shaping a conversation either, because I'm not manipulating it, but going with what they're saying and then asking things that lead on. So I think the Sananda Maitreya one was really, I feel like I really did a really good interview there. And I don't really uh-huh. call them interviews. I call them conversations because they're not yeah. interviews. But, but I feel like I did a good job there with someone who I feel has been really disrespected by the press in general over the years. Right. And when someone has had massive hits in the 80s, great that that's great you know and and if they really want to keep talking about that all the time over and above their new material that's fine but i, I suspect they don't yeah. and i suspect that when when someone's gone through a career metamorphosis like that and changed their name because of yeah. trauma in their past career maybe don't bang on about the hits from the <laughs> 80s so i felt very much like i was able to get across to him yes i know who you are and were Mm-hmm. Yes, I know that most people would ask you about those things. So I don't think I don't know that that's your career. But let's talk about your new thing because yeah. why on earth am I replicating a Wikipedia entry at this point? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's just given me more confidence in general in <laughs> the idea that I am an actual real songwriter. I'm a real artist. And the thing is, I always was, but I didn't think I was. I thought I was, I kind of felt like I was auditioning constantly auditioning to be what I wanted to be one day. Yeah. Because when you've got an idea of what you want to be one day, it can be quite hard to realise when you've already got it. And once you've got it, then it's kind of about trying to keep that. Because I'm trying to keep being a full-time artist, making whatever yeah. the fuck I like. Yeah. And then it's not about like, I don't know, delving deeper and exploring and and being a bit kind of, kind of braver about it. So that's uh-huh. what I wanted to do with this record is be like, yeah. I have to use this time. Yeah, I'm not sure I know, well, certainly not in my group of friends that are songwriters. I'm not sure any of them feel like that's what they are. I remember many years ago when we started The Wonder Stuff and, and Pop Will Eat Stuff, and I'd written a, you know, a handful of songs. It was in the first live set, and I, and I looked at my flatmate, Clint Mansell, who was in mm. Pop Will Eat Itself and um, is now having a wonderfully successful career as a Hollywood composer. And I remember saying to him, <laughs> So we were, I was only about 20 and I said, um, we're songwriters, aren't we? And I, and I said it in a very sort of proud way. And he, he, we were both on the sofa sitting next to each other and he just looked at me. He didn't say it, but the look in his <laughs> eyes was just, you wanker. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it funny though, that he might have been thinking, oh, I'm too nervous to agree because I don't want Miles to think I'm a wanker. <laughs> Who knows, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose it was quite a lofty thing to say. But what yeah. I was going to say is, you know, uh, people that have been hugely successful that are friends of mine or acquaintances really don't feel that secure no. with the identity of like, yeah, I'm a songwriter and I'm doing well because really it yeah. all depends on the next body of work and, yeah. and none of us are, are very confident that it's coming. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, everyone seems to be terrified that they'll never write a song again and they don't know how they did it. Yeah. So when did music take over? What age were you? Was it the standard? I mean, I I do this thing if I read uh, rock biographies, which I've actually grown to enjoy since writing my own little collection of books. Um, But I read a load of rock biographies, even by people that I'm genuinely not interested in their music, Mm. but just to see how it was done and the various ways you can do it. And people of a certain age always talk about the first time they heard the Beatles. And as soon as I said, I skipped the next 40 pages. (laughs) And usually always say, you know, most traumatic childhood experience was uh, seeing an episode of Doctor Who and having to hide behind (laughs) the sofa. And that is in at least... 
10 rock biographies I've read. And I'm like, come on, people, read somebody else's book. And fucking, it doesn't need saying. So, um, yeah, where, where does it start? Please don't say the Beatles. All right, I'll lie and tell you it was ELO. Was it? Okay, okay. So Out of the Blue by ELO was big. So I remember three, four artists from my, like before I was five years old, okay. And this is no disrespect to my parents, but they just don't have an extensive record collection. Okay. So they had the White Album by the Beatles and I loved it because I think uh-huh. they're so good for kids because it's story songs. And there's much yeah. more to it. It's also good for adults. I do love the Beatles. Also, yeah, I don't know which ABBA album it was, but I remember hearing... Um, what's the word? I was the girl with golden hair. Da, 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 da. That song, right? Don't know it. Because oh, thank you for the music. Thank oh you yeah, for okay. The music. The music. Um, <laughs> because I had blonde hair, and so it's kind of like oh, the music's for, like for me, and I could be I could be Agneta, I could be that person. Yeah. I just had this as a, you know jumbled up idea as a little kid. Also, Dolly Parton was huge for me, and you know she's wonderful. Okay. And yeah, Out of the Blue by Yellow was big. But out of the blue, by the time we get to out of the blue, what's that, late 70s? Is that 77, 78, something like that? I hasten to add, I didn't listen to it then because I wasn't born then, but I did listen to it later. Oh, right. So that's yeah. still an influence in the 80s. All right. Um, but that's just what my parents had. That's what I'm saying. So they I just see. had some stuff and that's what right. I listened to because you didn't. there were no other options. So that's how I got started. I guess what I'm looking for is like, um, what was the artist that like not handed down from your parents? I guess, yeah. you know, that you might have heard on the radio or, or, or seen on TV. Who, who was it? Was uh, I suppose I'm expecting you to say, and this is, could be <laughs> awful of me, a female artist or Ooh. a group of female artists? Well, okay, I'll tell you. So I can't remember what age I was when I saw the bangles on Top of the Pops and they were yeah. all playing instruments, or so yeah. I thought, until I did Top of the Pops and realised everyone mimes their instruments. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> that's, that's just, you know, that's just how it is. But anyway, they yeah. were all playing instruments and I thought, oh, maybe I could play an instrument like that one day because yeah. I was always play, already playing the violin. And, and like singing a tiny bit at school. I never did the choir thing or anything, but like occasionally I would be asked to sing something. That kind of lit a light bulb in my head of, oh, I could play an instrument. And that's why I think you really need to be able to see yourself on stages and on TV and everywhere. You need to see someone who is like you in some way yeah, so that yeah. you can you know, really latch onto that because that opened my mind so much just seeing that one performance. And then... Um, Massive person for me was Alanis Morissette with Jagged Little Pill. Yeah, yeah, great. Because she album. sounded fucking angry. Yeah, and yeah. And I was very angry at the time, and it really fit. Uh huh. And then she got me over into more rock music stuff than I had been listening to before because it was just all chart shit that I was listening to before because that's yeah. what there was, you know, that's what was really easy to listen to. And um, so she got me over there, and then I massively got into Blur, hugely. Okay. And when I listen to some Blur stuff now, I think. I just wonder if I hadn't got into them when I was a teenager, would I, critically speaking, be getting into them now? Right. And I think I would if it wasn't the laddie, beery side of it. Yes. Because yes. there's so many beautiful songs. And I, and yeah. like, this is a low and for tomorrow and so many beautiful songs, you know, yeah. very Beatles inspired, obviously. Yeah. And so that side of it, I, yeah, absolutely no regrets. But I don't think I would, I think it was kind of a cultural thing. And I think it was the age that I was at. And you just start picking stuff that you like. Because that's all you can pick. Couldn't choose what to eat, couldn't choose what to wear, couldn't choose how I spend my time, but I can choose what I listen to. So Blur were huge for me, yeah. Okay. So um, so no Chrissy Hines or, or, or any of the really strong 
you know, ballsy women that came out of the new wave period. Not none of them hit your radar. It literally went no. ELO to blur. <laughs> it went ELO, ELO, Lannis Morissette, blur. Okay. Then I started getting into Sleeper Echo Belly, Lassica. Yeah. yeah. All of that. Amazing stuff. Bjork, Skunk and Nancy. Skunk and Nancy were huge for me. Right. And they I discovered by listening to the radio. I've written this on my blog before. People may people may or may not know this about me. I wanted to listen to music at night and my parents wouldn't let me because I needed to go to sleep. And I understand yeah. now. It's probably quite annoying when you're a tired <laughs> child. But um, yeah, I would just, I would put my my Walkman under my under my sheets and I'd have it just loud enough that I could hear it, but quiet enough that no one would like creep up and scare me. Yeah. And I remember listening to, I, I heard a Skunk and Nancy song. I wrote it down in my notebook, Skunk and Nancy. So I could go oh. to the record shop and and ask for it on the weekend and to their credit they didn't laugh at me this little girl going can I have the new skunk and Nancy single please <laughs> <laughs> and they just like oh that's skunk and Nancy here you go great and that just like yeah that blew my mind as well she's great amazing they're amazing I did the uh, I used to have a it's about the size of an iPhone uh, a little bit thicker but um a little mono transistor radio that my uncle gave me when I was probably 11 or 12 and I used to listen to John Peel mm. at night. There was no earphone system. It was just to have it on really, really quiet underneath <laughs> the, the, the sheets. And uh, and again, mom and dad, same as you, mom and dad would be like, you're not listening to that tonight. Yeah. They, they never actually took the radio off me. They just asked me not to do it because Peel was 10 till midnight and I'd got a school mm. day the next day. And where I'd always get caught out and I didn't know I was doing it was I would start singing along. <laughs> So once, you know, why as I am the fly, it's a very repetitive track. Once I've got the, I am the fly, I am the fly, and then it'd be, shut up and turn that bloody radio off. <laughs> yeah. I was probably like rocking out to, weak as I am. <laughs> Getting in trouble. Oh, yeah. Garbage were huge as well. I must say garbage as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That yeah. was another one. That was a that was a break time thing. Me and my friend Tessa would listen, like one one earplug each, listen to the first garbage right, album, okay. break times. But it was interesting because like, yeah, I did have a handful of friends at school. They, they weren't into the music that I was into apart from Tessa was. But Tessa was very like, she's a fan of music. She's a fan of bands. And it's like, right. oh, I love so-and-so and I love so-and-so. And we obviously we were teenagers. We were talking about who we fancied and stuff. And I was kind of like, I sort of went along with it because, you know, you just sort of do. But then I remember thinking, I don't want to fancy the boys in the band. I want to be in the band. Like I want to be on yeah. stage with them in the band. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not interested in this. And so I just started trying to find people to be in a band with, which is hard when... You're a teenage girl and yeah. there are no women making music around you. <laughs> did you have that first band though? Is there, yeah. did, did you mention to Steve, were you 15 when you first started writing songs? Oh yeah, and they were dreadful, but it was for GCSE music. So, okay, so I was like super duper shy uh -huh. and uh, I did the school music stuff, violin, and I started playing saxophone because I thought that would be cooler and it wasn't because we just played violin stuff. It's very boring. It's uh -huh. no, no good. Um, and then, yeah, when it started wanting to be in a band, just this sort of intangible idea, I want to be in a band one day. Didn't know what I was yeah. going to do in it or anything. Yeah. Um, and then there was like school musicals going on and like the county, like the area, what's it called? Suffolk Young People's Theatre. Okay. We're doing auditions for things. And there was this, yeah, there were, and there was a thing at school as well. And and I had also got super into musicals and I'm, I'm not into them now, but I, I used to watch them a lot as a kid and sing along and things. And I thought maybe I could audition 
and I don't know where I got the bravery from to do this audition because no one was like coaching me. I never was told you're great at this. You should, you should audition or anything. I just, I practiced singing along to like songs from cats or something, something I'd found on a, on a tape somewhere. Yeah. And then I went and I did this audition. I remember just shaking Yeah, yeah and they were super impressed. And when I listened back to stuff from my teens, like I I was a really good singer when I was a teenager, but I thought I was awful. I thought (laughs) I was no good at anything and no one would ever want me to do anything. So I I just thought, oh, I don't know why they've asked me to be in it, but that's cool. Maybe they just had a space. That's kind of how I thought about it. And I went and did this two week thing where you rehearsed every day and and then did all these shows at the theatre and it was so great. And I met some really like pivotal people in my musical life uh-huh. because weirdly, okay, so <laughs> again, this is in the 90s, when um, when he went to the careers officer and said, I don't know what I want to be, but, you know, I'm interested in music and, you know, visual stuff, whatever. They went, oh, yeah, okay, you could be a secretary. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, maybe that's all I can do. And that, that does a number on you or did a number on me. It made me think, yeah. oh, and there's nothing wrong with being a secretary, by the way. I have since yeah. been one. It's fine. But uh-huh. when you're a kid and kind of trying to reach for the stars a bit and you're told, oh, yes, there's some sort of admin job for you that you could do for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're doing musical things and stuff, it, I, I don't know. I just I just thought, oh, well, that's that's what jobs are. Fine. Okay. And my my work experience was being an information assistant at the local bus station. Wow. Can you even imagine a time when you couldn't just look up the information for the bus yourself, <laughs> let alone on the timetable that's printed next to the, the bus stop, but on on a phone or a computer of some yeah, kind? Yeah, yeah. So what, were you behind a little counter and people yep. would come up and, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was behind the counter wow. telling people what it said on the timetable that was in front of them, <laughs> basically, <laughs> trying not to be sarcastic because I was quite sarcastic uh-huh. at the time. And then this boy came in. And he had a poster for a gig that he was putting on. And he asked me if I could put the poster up on the board. And no one had said I could put posters on the board, let alone for some sort of, you know, little punky gig. But I was yeah. like, yeah, of course I can. Because I just thought, yeah, I want to be the person who puts the poster up and helps this thing happen, right? Yeah. So I put it up. I don't know if it stayed up, but I put it up. And he left, and he was really pleased. And he left and he walked down the road. And I, and I remember, because it's all like glass floor to ceiling glass windows all around this bus station uh-huh. and he turned around and he gave me a thumbs up and a little wink excellent and then like two weeks later at this theatre thing I'd got into he was there wow. we ended up singing a duet together in this thing in this theatre thing and then he became one of the people in my first band so he was pivotal oh excellent yeah, okay. his name is Steve Quigley and he was in a band called Miss Black America later on excellent so we started a band called Billion Dollar Brain together <laughs> And were you you were the singer in the, that band with him? I was supposed to be the like acoustic guitarist because that's all okay. I could play that was vaguely useful. But the old classic thing happened where the the hot bass player that I'd picked from my year, Simon, who was really hot, he was just hot. Sorry, he was hot. We <laughs> wanted him to be in the band because he was hot. I okay. didn't know if he could play bass. He just didn't show up because he was a stoner as well, so he just okay. didn't come. But you're already thinking about marketing <laughs> at that point, yes. aren't you? We need we need somebody hot. He had very good floppy hair, and that's quite yeah, important yeah. in a band, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, <laughs> so I started playing bass. That's how I started playing the bass guitar right. because he didn't come along, and also okay. I was terrible at the guitar at the time. Um, no, we we did joint singing. There were three singers in the band. Okay. A terrible idea, but it, you know it made sense at the time because we all wanted to do it. We're talking about the new album again, right? So, when I came up with this question, I uh, I, I had my dear friend Jim Moyer, aka Vic Reeves's voice mm. in my head. It's the sort of thing he's asked me over the years. I might even do it in his voice. 
Um, Can I just say, uh, I remember when I saw you both on Top of the Pops doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. It's funny, I don't, talking about doing everything drunkenly when you're younger. So he, he'd be like, Milo, in this case, he'd say, Laura, are you ever tempted to write rubbish lyrics? Only that seems to be what sells. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Isn't that funny, though? Yeah. Yeah, um, no, because <laughs> I know that I can't, I can't just fill in some crap because I will cringe for the rest of my life about yeah. it and yeah. it'll bother me for the rest of my life. And I remember us having a conversation on your tour bus years ago where yeah. you said about like, don't rush any mixed decisions or like finishing stuff off quickly because that thing will last forever. And for the, for the sake of a yeah, couple of yeah. months, I think I was having problems trying to find someone uh, to mix something or wanted someone else to mix something. Uh, um, and you just said, get it right, because otherwise you will always be thinking about that thing being wrong. It would be a line that uh, my lovely um, American manager about years ago, I don't have an American manager anymore, but I had a, a proper Beverly Hills music business manager in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. And, and it was just a lovely thing that he said to me. It's, just, it's like, don't rush anything to sort of meet the label's release schedule yeah. was the conversation we were having. He says, you know, don't put anything out there until you know it's as good as you're yeah. going to get it or as you, you can get it. He says, because once it's out there, you oh, can't yeah. get it back. Yeah, yeah. And that always stayed with me, yeah, yeah. I've been asked loads of times to, not to actually do it, but had I have I considered doing it? Just writing some shit pop mm. um, to sell and not put my name to and, and, and sell it to someone. And I've, I've, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, I think that it's easy to think that would be easy, but I don't think it is easy. I think there's a real skill I don't think to what's it is. being done. Yeah. It's just that when I'm writing lyrics, I will tend to start thinking, but are these real lyrics? Because it doesn't sound like this is a real song because it's come out of me, even though right. I know that it, obviously when something's fresh out of you, it just feels like it's not, it's not a proper one yet. It can feel that way to me anyway. Yeah. And then honestly, I'll turn on the radio and then in about three seconds, I turn it off and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> because it's everyone yeah. loves autotune now and I don't and it's just and it's just a different yeah. kind of music and and, I, and I'm not being a purist I'm not being snobby about it I just I choose not to listen to that stuff it's not for me um I don't necessarily yeah. think it's terrible quality or anything I do think that there's a sort of kind of vanilla-y dumbing down thing that happens which means that mm -hmm. it's going to appeal to a wider group of people it doesn't mean those people are stupid or wrong it just means that it's going to appeal to more people than someone who's being very truthful yeah. about stuff but then also I've got the thing to contend with which is that I don't have one million pounds marketing budget and I'm not exaggerating about how much is spent on artists yeah, yeah. I mean there's an example of a recent number one artist in the UK just for one billboard, it was costing this artist's team £50,000 a week for one billboard. And th th that, that's the tip of the iceberg of that marketing campaign. Incredible. That's how you get to number one. Also, hopefully the music's good, but that's really how you get there because there's some yeah. fucking awesome music that doesn't have that budget that yeah, you will yeah. never hear. And so, yeah, like those people are on the radio. I'm pleased they're on the radio. I'm pleased it's working out for them. 
whatever. If people are getting something from it, that's awesome. I can only imagine if everyone listening to the radio thought it was terrible, they'd say something and then something would be done about what was on the radio. So whatever, yeah. I just feel like it's a different yeah. world. And so no, I'm not tempted to write nonsense in my own songs, but I am quite tempted to use it as a songwriting challenge, like you're saying, to go, could I write a pop song? And probably then be quite humbled and go, yeah. no, probably I can't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe I'll just keep doing my thing. But I don't want to just be comfortable. That's why on some of the new songs, I was like taking the guitar away and I was really trying to make space in the arrangements. Yeah. Because when I write a song, I can hear infinite melodies on top. And my job as a producer is to balance yeah. those out so it's, there's not too much happening all at once. Yeah. And I think I do a good job with that, but I wanted to make sure that I was stretching myself on this record because I don't see the point of just going, it's comfortable for me to write this way, so I'll just do that and like knock it out. Because yeah. as an independent artist, there's absolutely no one going, here's the deadline, do 12 songs really fast. It doesn't matter because it does matter because <laughs> it's my time and energy. And, yeah. and also I res obviously respect the audience yeah. that I have and, and I want to take them on a journey. Yeah. And the people who have been into my stuff for years love that because they tell me that. They love that they don't know what my next song is going to sound like on a record, let alone next time. So yeah. that's really yeah. nice. I mean, I, I usually recoil if I, you know, boy, girl, Related, you know, mm. if that's obviously what someone's song is about. Yeah. Anything to do with uh, flying. Um, <laughs> the, the the writing on the wall. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm. Any of those kind of things, you know. California is a bit of a trigger for me <laughs> in a song. I actually got that in a song last year. <laughs> but only because I was writing it with a guy that was in California. That's legitimate. And I ended up putting in there, I like this guy that lives out there in California. Um, <laughs> no, but, but I mean, you're listening over everything on Exotic Monsters, you know, in, in your true style, it's wonderfully melodic. Um, following your melodies is lovely. But I, I sort of only asked that daft Vic Reevesian type <laughs> question is is because I also what it it, it attracts me. So like I'm I'm listening to your new stuff and and I'm loving the melodies and I'm really impressed with you. Um <laughs> you. slight, you know, um feelings of jealousy as well. Like, ah shit, I wish I'd have came up with that. But then uh while I'm enjoying it, um your lyrics will jar, right. which works completely to my taste, yeah. I want to be stopped okay. and, and, and to be made to listen to the lyrics because yeah. you've used unusual language yeah. uh, in terms of writing pop or rock songs. That's, that's why I love Dylan. It's why I, I love Ricky Lee Jones and, um, because their lyrics make me stop mm. and listen and, and perhaps jarring is the wrong word. Um, but I also know when I talk to people about things that I like, listen to this, listen to this lyric and uh, friends of mine might say, you know, I, I don't, A, I don't really listen to lyrics. I'm like, well, thanks a fucking lot. There's yeah. my last 35 <laughs> years of work completely wasted. Mm. Um, and I, and I wonder, are you aware that you're, you're not writing an easy listen? When you're writing? <laughs> it's not easy listening. No, I, uh, but thank you for, mm, let's see. I'm aware, I think I'm aware, yeah, but I'm very amused at how you put it. And that might explain a lot of things <laughs> in, in okay. my career. Right. Okay, what I know I'm trying to do when I'm writing, especially because I do a lot of weird time signature stuff, but I try to make it so that you don't notice unless you're noticing, right. unless you're trying to notice. Yeah. So what I'm trying yeah. to do, 
And by the way, with the strange time signatures, they're not strange. They're just my favorite ones. They're just not four, four yeah. or three, four, or that maybe they shift between yeah. different ones. I don't contrive those. I don't go, mm, I know I'm going to do a song in 13, four, just to give myself a <laughs> headache today. Cause it's really quite <laughs> difficult to write a melody over that. But I did it. Yeah. But it's just that the songs come out that way. And then I get to a point where I think, oh, I probably need to count what's going on here. Especially when I start to do the record the demo, because I have to figure out uh-huh. what what the fuck is going. What have I done? Like, so cancel your hopes. Yeah. It's either seven four six four alternating bars, or just thirteen four if you can't be bothered to like switch. Okay. <laughs> so it's yeah, like yeah. arguably weird. But then because I've done that, and I love you know I will love that thing I've written musically. I want to make sure that whatever goes over the top vocally and melodically feels really like a breeze. And believe me, that song was not a breeze. I actually had to program in. In logic, I had to program in with a with a keyboard how the um, the rhythm of the verse melody was going to go, because I I, I kind of I knew what I wanted it to do, but I couldn't sing it yet. I couldn't sing it over. Yeah, it was yeah. so confusing. It was giving me a headache. So I had to yeah. program it in and then learn it. And then it, now it's really easy to sing. It seems normal, but it's not normal. It's really weird. So if you if you like counting, count that song. Okay. But yeah, I want to, I want to make it effortless, kind of like um, Josh Hum does in Queens of the Stone Age, kind of like Billy Corgan does in Smashing Pumpkins. Um, that kind of thing. So the darkness and light thing, the effortless, but it's actually quite challenging. Yeah. And then with lyrics, I just don't have any interest in making a bunch of pretty sounds. You know, I read a lot of novels. I really love quite complicated lyrics myself in other people's songs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I want to yeah. write stuff that's meaningful. And, and I like using fancy words. I love the fact that I got solipsistic in the first line of a song. That's a nice challenge. But it's not like I planned it. I don't have a list of complications. It didn't complications. go unnoticed. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I don't. Well, it's very solipsistic of me, isn't it? But I don't like have a list of like complicated words I want to ram into a song or anything. No. But I find it to be a fun challenge to go, how literary could this song be without being a wanker? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. something more. Again, it's just all about everything being a little bit deeper, a little bit less surface level. Yeah. Because if I'm writing a song, I'm going to use that time. You know, that three and a half minutes has to be for a reason. It's not just to pass the time. I'm not just passing the time and then expecting others to pass the time with me. I want it to do something. Yeah. So, yes, I I understand. Therefore, it would be more challenging (laughs) and less of an easy listen. Yes. (laughs) Songs about real things tend to be less of an easy listen, probably. Yeah. But it's not supposed to be easy. Yeah. Good. (laughs) All right. Um. So I'm going to throw something at you now. Uh-huh. Uh, when we did the interview for Attention Engineer where you interviewed me, yeah. you surprised me very pleasantly um, with bringing somebody else into the conversation. Oh, yes. So this is um, a question I've got from Janice Long uh, specifically for you. Wow. Hi, Laura. It's Janice Long here. Uh, Brilliant podcast, by the way. It was Miles who got me into it. Um, Now I'm thinking technology, wonderful thing, because back in my day, I couldn't go independent. So when somebody said to me, um, you look like a prostitute, this was on the telly, uh, for wearing a top that slid down one shoulder, or for radio, questioning my (laughs) sexuality, uh, for wearing uh, a certain pair of shoes and also telling me that indie and dance would never, ever catch on. So different times. And I would have thought much better for you. What do you think? I'm just blown away that Janice Lungs. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. You've got some really cool friends. 
I just wanted to hear Janice's voice because I love her voice. <laughs> I really am like so blown away that she, she, um, that you asked her that and that she said nice things about me. So like, give me a minute. <laughs> this is so cool. She's such a legend. Holy shit. She really is. Yeah. Whew. Okay. Um, <clears throat> hmm. Sometimes I do think, wow, I'm doing all this stuff myself sitting on my computer and you know, the technology is there for us and all the tools are there for us. So we could kind of do anything. But I was talking to, um, oh, I can't say because this, this is going to come out before the, the two conversations I've just recently had. But I was talking okay. to a couple of American musicians about limitations on things. And so in terms of songwriting, having a limitation of you know three and a bit minutes, four, four minutes, some kind of structure, a certain amount of instruments and things like that, that can make you be incredibly creative. Mm -hmm. And given that we all have the same number of notes, although the jazzers obviously have more, <laughs> they've got like the secret ones, yeah. but we've all got the same number of notes to work with. It, it blows my mind how different everyone's music is. That's such a wonderful thing. Yeah. And so there is a danger when you've got the ability to do anything um, or, you know, certainly you could learn to do anything and, and, and do so much from your phone, from your laptop, from whatever, that it will just paralyze you to do nothing. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest danger we face in some ways with this. I think that's what's going on with me presently. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Let's blame technology on that. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I, I record my own music. I could record infinite tracks. Mm -hmm. I could spend three years trying to write a song or whatever if I wanted to, but you just have to set yourself some deadlines. So you were saying earlier about how... Um, it's important to make sure that what you've created is how you want it to be before it goes out into the world because then it's you, know, you have to let it go. Mm -hmm. So I do agree with that, absolutely. But there's the sort of the caveat that um, I always refer to it as like sharpening your pencils. Don't sharpen your pencils and get your desk all beautiful, but never actually do anything with <laughs> the things. I like doing things. Um, a lot of my sort of self-worth and, you know, energy comes from completing things, yeah. whatever that is. It doesn't have to be something that's public, but completing something. Well, that goes back to what you discussed with Tom Robinson, and he said that lovely thing about seeing something through Yeah, that he was taught at the school he went to. Yes, yeah. that was really nicely put, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. If I start a book, I want to finish it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I have a diary. I try to write in it every day. Then I feel like I've done something I've sort of completed something yeah I like writing blog posts I like making videos I like doing podcasts um so I want to complete things I want to yeah little projects and it's kind of amazing that we can reach people through the internet and so even though the record's about my struggles with the negative parts of it I, I value the positive parts obviously mm -hmm. it's so incredible what we can do but like I say, it's yeah, it could be anything, but it has to be something. So I knew with a podcast, I wanted to have these conversations because I want to learn from other people. Yeah. I also knew that I'm lacking in a social circle of musicians and I'm not pretending that all of my guests are now my friends. I'm not deluded. <laughs> it's fine. It's not, it's not for that reason. But I knew that I, that I would benefit a lot personally and as a songwriter and, and a human from learning about how other people do things. Yeah. And I also thought... Other people will learn as well. And I knew that the people listening would get something from that yeah. and, um, and be encouraged. And they have done. And that's a beautiful thing. So that's what it's for. Um, I just think it works on many levels. And it's, it's really lovely that Janice can, well, it's amazing she's listened. So that's cool. <laughs> but just yeah. that she appreciates that, um, yeah, that, I mean, it, it still is work. It's not easy to do any of this stuff. And it is something that I have to be very driven to do. I've put aside one and a half, two days a week for the past year working on the podcast. Yeah. 
And I'm not doing the podcast so that it gets monetized one day. I'm not trying to be a social media influencer. Yeah. I'm just trying to do something. It's like creating the body of work that I have with my music. I just want to create a body of work that's separate from that. And the only frustrating thing about podcasts, well, not the only frustrating thing. One of the frustrating things about doing a podcast is that I know that it's a medium that a lot of people just have no interest in engaging in. And that means that that the value that's in of these conversations I've been having is kind of trapped in this audio form. Because a lot of people just will not listen to an hour of audio, and that's fine. I see it growing all the time, particularly with yours. We you know when I share um, yeah. your posts about um, the, the podcasts, that I would say every time I do that, somebody says, "Oh, I'm so glad I found this." Yeah, that and is so really it's always lovely. growing. I mean, and I wouldn't think that they're sort of captivated or locked away somewhere that um, that they're always there to go and find. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. It's just that um, you're absolutely right. And I, thank you so much for sharing it because pe- yeah, people really do respond to mm-hmm. you really well online. But no, what I'm saying is that, so let's say there's, I'm, I'm just gesturing, there's this many people who listen to podcasts. Uh-huh. Obviously, I want to reach as many of those people as possible yeah. who will benefit from this these conversations. There are also a whole bunch of people who, for whatever reason, that format's not accessible. So what I've been doing is I've actually hired my, my little sister to help me do the transcripts for the uh, series. Okay. And so she is zooming away on those and I'm not getting involved because it's a really <laughs> long-winded process. Yeah. And so that means that there can be transcripts for people to delve into. There's potentially going to be a book as well because there's just different ways for people to engage with um, the things we make. And I just want to make sure that it's open to as many people as possible. Great. And, and, you know, a a lot of the stuff, going back to what Janice was talking about, it's safe to say that a lot of the reason that I do the things I do and make such a point of, like I'm going to do a podcast and it's going to be weekly and it's going to be really high quality like it was on the radio. Mm-hmm. It's going to be you know done really well. It's because I want to show that you can do these things. Yeah. Because I'm just a person who taught myself how to do all of these little things over time. Yeah. And then I put a lot of hours into making something. And some people might find it really boring to hear about the process of stuff. And that's fine. You're probably not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it is. And I've never been someone who was like, I am a pop star. I should be treated like a special person and I don't have to do anything and then I'll get a team and then I'll be famous and rich. Yeah. That's never been anything that <laughs> any reality in my brain. Like I said, I felt like I was auditioning yeah. for 10 years yeah. to be what I already was. I kind of like auditioning to be myself or something, <laughs> which is like, I don't know if everyone else feels this way, but that's how I was feeling. And so, yeah, this is me explaining how things work because otherwise you might just think it happens by magic. Yeah. Because I, I spend some time in my days thinking, people just think like I'm lying that I'm making this stuff myself. <laughs> or they, they think there must be some sort of like massive label funding my lifestyle or uh-huh. whatever. But it's not like that at all. Right, I am right. just sort of a bit unhinged and spend a lot of time <laughs> editing podcasts. And I like it. That's yeah, all. yeah. So, like it. it's, so it's really, I mean, you, you and I share that in, uh, in some, it's the doing that... Um, yeah that pleases people like us. So you're, you're a doer. And, and I, I guess, uh, on the subject of what Janice was saying is that uh, for someone that is as driven as you, you are lucky enough to be born at the right time to, to have Mm -hmm. all this, uh, uh, um, you know, to be, have access to all this technology, whether it's the records you're making or, or the, or the podcast. Yes, definitely. But then also I sometimes think if I was putting music out in the nineties or the eighties, I might have got a giant record label deal. 
And I'm not saying that would have been better or anything, because I think it probably wouldn't have been better. But I think that if I was able to make the music I am now, that might have happened. But also, I couldn't have made the music I make now without all the influences of the bands from that time. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, there's no sort of, there's no point thinking about that. Well, there's <laughs> certainly yeah. no point in thinking about the times of big record deals. I, I mean, no. uh, so Ian McNabb, I won't mention the band, but Ian McNabb from the iSchool Works, um, there, there was a lot of talk of a, of a great record, actually, that came out a couple of months ago that got a number one position uh, in the UK album charts. But, Ian looked, McNabb looked into it and it was about 30,000 sales mm. had got this record to number one in the British album charts. Back in the 80s and 90s, if all you sold was 30,000 records, you were getting dropped. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you, we, so you really can't measure what's going on no. now in terms of, you know, that, that the old model compared to the new model. Speaking of the charts... Yeah. Did you see my thing about how my album was halfway to the top 40? I did. Because this is also not a lie, everyone. <laughs> so that's really mind-blowing. And that's a testament to independently-minded record buyers yeah, and people yeah, who yeah. don't need to seem on a billboard. You know, I'm not saying I haven't worked hard and made good music either, uh -huh. but it's, you know, I, I can't get in the charts on my own. So, you know... Please buy the record, people listening, because this is how this is how we change things. Yeah, it just yeah. shows what can be done when a group of people come together and basically vote for something that yeah. they believe in. And I'm so thankful that people believe in me because I'm just being me, uh -huh. and so it gives me all that validation that I never had as a kid or a teenager or whatever when I was trying to find who I was or like what value am I as a person? What value do I have as a person? Yeah, because we all have value. We exist, we have value. I've had a thought about ageing. Um, and, and of course, I've, I, when I finally go, you know, the, the, I've left this, you know, body of work for want of a less lofty description. Uh, that, that It's got to sort of proof that I was ever here. But, um, you know, going, get, getting grey, not being able to shift this bit of weight that's on me at the moment, <laughs> uh, things like that. And mm. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, a woman at, at the pub uh, last week when we were allowed to go back to the pubs. And I don't, it's, it was, it was weird hearing myself say it. And then it was even weirder looking at her ex, uh, expression of what she was listening to. And I, I think I have this theory about the aging process that we, mm. we will go through it. And then at some point it will stop and it just goes back to normal. Does that make any sense to you? And I, how do you mean? I, I don't do know mean what death? my I don't know I don't know what my idea of normal is, but um, I've never bothered about the big numbers. You know, hitting thirty, mm. forty, fifty. My next big one will be sixty. They've never mm. bothered me, and because I've I've lost friends along the way, um, you know, members of the band that, that didn't make it to this age. Um, mm. I've always thought it's it's a great thing. It's a privilege to to hit the big numbers. Um, but when I really started to think about this was out walking the dog, <laughs> like, what do I think about aging? I mean, do I feel like I'm heading towards the end? And, and that's the best as I can describe it is we will go through the aging process. It's enjoyable. And then we'll get back to normal. Hmm. I think this probably it doesn't need discussing on a podcast or a pub, <laughs> a garden table in a pub. It should probably just go into a song. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I personally have no problem with getting older. No. I remember being 
18 and wishing I was 35. I did. Because all of the cool people, in my mind, cool musicians and artists I really looked up to were yeah. like 32, 35, something like yeah. that. Like yeah. when Polly Harvey was 32, I was wishing I was her contemporary yeah. for some reason. <laughs> yeah. She was the specific person I was thinking of. And I always had older friends. So I was always the youngest one. So it's quite a weird shift when you become not the youngest one. Yeah. That was a bit odd, but that's fine. And I just think, like I say, like with my music, I'm trying to get to know myself better and better. I just kind of feel like life is about like getting rid of all the sort of nonsense that was um, put in your head when you're a teenager about right. how you can't do things or yeah. whatever to regain that childish enthusiasm for you know just doing a drawing because it's fun or like singing a song because it's fun because you feel like it yeah and so regaining all of that stopping drama coming into your life because yeah. you're picking the wrong people to be around yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff I, I think I've sorted that out now <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and just going deeper and deeper like I say so my, my first three albums um, were about me reacting to things that were happening to me then and you know, shortly beforehand. Uh -huh. The fourth album was about going further back because I was unfortunately in a very happy relationship at that point. So there's nothing to complain about. Oh, yes. What a nightmare, I thought. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to go back further. So I did. <laughs> and then this one's about trying to be terribly wise and deal with a load of stuff from even before that. Yeah. And then I think, and, and, and certainly like looking more outwards into the world rather than, I wouldn't call it navel gazing because that seems like I, I don't think it's, it's worth doing because I don't feel that way about my earlier work. But my earlier work was break up stuff, you know, yeah. um, I'm, a, I'm an awful person, although I wasn't really, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I want to move on because this body of work I'm creating, I want to keep putting albums out, you know, once every year, year and a half or something. Yeah, yeah. It can't be the same old shit, can it? Like, oh, that ex-boyfriend's coming up again because I've got nothing else to write about. <laughs> and I know it's hard to have new experiences at the moment, but it's not impossible. There's plenty of novels to read and films yeah. to watch and people to talk to. So it's just about kind of yeah, going forward and hoping to become, I don't know, just more, more me, more comfortable with that. Keeping having something to say. And I suppose if, if I don't, then I won't write the albums or I'll do some instrumentals or something because I just don't want to waste anyone's time with a load of fluff. Yeah. Least of all my own. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, I think we're all in safe hands, you know, uh, including <laughs> myself as a fan of yours. I, th I think we, we know you're not going to do that to us. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to get to um, the question. Only one question that I notice you ask most of your guests. Ooh. Which three pieces of music or songs of yours? Oh my god! Would you come on? You must have given this some thought about your own stuff. I've heard why you I'm ask. Saying, oh my god! Because like <laughs> I was thinking, oh my god, how have I not thought this one through? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yesterday I was putting the finishing touches to the lyric and photo book for Exotic Monsters. Uh -huh. And then I was thinking about how Brace for Impact, my album that came out in 2018, uh -huh. is the philosophical and emotional bridge to this one. Yeah. Because, as I say, the first three were um, very specifically about things that were happening to me at the time, whereas Brace for Impact was like looking up a bit from my own life, looking mm -hmm. around, looking back, that kind of stuff. So it definitely links. And so I was listening to, I was listening to Love This Body, of Brace for Impact, okay. which was really key to helping me deal with body image stuff that mm -hmm. had been with me since I was a child. Right. And it's amazing the things that will stick with you for so many years. Um, and so I've been hiding myself, that 
entire time. Right. You know, sh- you know baggy clothes, arms crossed. So yeah. we were talking earlier about how um, if you're nervous around people, you can just come across as being, you know, an arsehole, basically. Yeah, People yeah. just think you're arrogant or something, but you could just be terrified and shy and not yeah. able to speak to someone. Yeah. So I had to get over that earlier uh, um, in my life as well. But I, w- I would always be arms crossed thinking I was covering my stomach. Right. And so people probably thought I was impatient or, right. you know, closed off or Overly whatever. defensive. But yeah. I, was, I was hiding my body. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Love This Body is about that, about my, my I wouldn't say struggle, but my um, journey with that thing. Mm-hmm. And also being in a very stable relationship for the first time in my life with someone who's really good for me and I'm really good for him um, really helped me to get to a point where I could really believe the things I would say about anybody else. So uh, you know, I don't care what anyone else looks like. I care about what they say. So I say that in the song. Right. Um, but I would never give myself that that basic decency. <laughs> right. Never. And so just hiding from being on in videos, hiding from being in photos, like no good, no good right, at all. Such right. a waste of time. And so that that was the, the a real turning point. Um, that's just how my mind works. I need to put things into a song to then put it into my life. And yeah. that's, that was huge for me. And so since then, it's, everything's been um, a, a much nicer, m- nicer time. Right, good. <laughs> because it really is a waste of time yeah. to feel like you are not good enough in the world. It, it and I'm not downplaying it. It's hard. It's, it's a hard thing to get over. It's taken me a long time to get over that. So I'm not saying that if you feel worthless, you should just sort it out. Like it's not that simple, <laughs> no. but it's, it's a journey. But I, I am on the journey. I feel a lot better now. Good, good. And I'm sure that's something no one would ever have thought was going on, you know, but that, that's what the song is about. Okay. Um, I wanted it to be helpful to others as well, because once you realise things, you want to sort of share them with people. I think yeah. that's how I feel. Yeah. So that's one song I would say. Um, off the new record, I really like, let's see. <laughs> I mean, I love them all. Of They're course. All my friends. Um, I really like, okay, if we're staying on the same theme of kind of songs that are really, that have really changed my life and have been important, I would say 17. Yeah. Which is about. Yeah, I'm not going to get super specific with that because I think I've written enough about it. But it's um. Well, there's a lot going on there. You you sort of yeah. you, you're standing on a rope bridge or something, aren't you? At 17. Oh yeah, it's the worst age. You're trying to get to your future. You're trying to get to your future self, and uh, your surroundings are uh, probably just you know wanting to keep you right where you are. If, if you're lucky enough yeah. to be grown up in a secure family, it's rough for your parents. Seeing yeah. you turn into an adult, they they still want you to be a little kid. You know, I'm I'm 55 yeah. this year and my mom constantly reminds me that I'm always her child. I'm always her <laughs> baby. Which is brilliant to hear and I I hate yeah. to think what I put my poor mom through, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's what I think it's I think it's the most confusing age because yeah, it's there's a lot of people who are around you who are influencing you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think to question the motives of some of those people, which I would do now. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I had a terrible boyfriend who was two years older than me and he had such an influence on everything. Right. And he was a slightly older child. Right. That's all he was. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. this amazing, you know, person. I mean, I wish him all the best. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. Wish you all the best. <laughs> Terrible experience. But I mean, I let that happen to myself because we have control. We have power. Yeah. But we d- I didn't know. Yeah. And, you know, teachers saying stupid shit. Yeah. Stuff with parents, stuff with siblings, whatever. It was, it was a pretty 
terrible, terrible year. And um, I had to put it into a song because it was bothering me still. It okay. was still getting me. Mm-hmm. Every few months, this little icy tap on the shoulder. By the way, this okay. happened. Okay. You know, just ghosts from the past. And so I just thought, all right, I'm going to face up to it then. And I knew I was going to have to deal with it in some way in songs. And then I didn't plan it out though. I, I didn't know it was going to be called 17. I didn't know what exactly the subject matter was going to be. But I came up to my studio one Saturday evening, just, I don't know, I was just going to tidy up or something. And I'm so glad I didn't bother. <laughs> so I just, the song just song just came out. Yeah. The song just came out. And it, and it's one of those ones again, like um, Love This Body, where the, the 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 genuine catharsis from the song changed my perspective on all of those things. It put it into its into its place. So I've made it into this little space, which is three minutes and fifty three <laughs> seconds, because it's got a bonkers outro that's very you know a nod to my one of my favourite bands of my teen years, Blur. Okay. Um, and it's there now. It's 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 secure. It's yeah. under glass. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's, it's not going to get me because the yeah. monster's in a box over there and I can see it. Yeah. And I'm not hiding from it anymore. Yeah. And so it's, that's really changed my life. But that's uh, and just making me think about another lovely thing about the aging process is that you're no longer in a, in a hurry to get anywhere in terms yeah. of like life's achievements or, uh, you know, I, I don't particularly look forward to uh, seeing my future self. Um, <laughs> but of course, when, when you're 17, when you're in your teens, you know, you're desperate to get ahead uh yeah. in life and and uh and in that desperation you are going to make a ton of mistakes you're going to let yeah. the wrong people into your life and um yeah inf- influence you in sadly ways that you will carry with you for the rest of your life but somewhere in somewhere be- be- between the beginning and the end and I, and I've definitely reached it I'm in no hurry to do anything or get anywhere it's, it's such a nicer <laughs> feeling yeah. 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 I feel like that too, as well, because of I got married in 2018 to this wonderful man. Mm-hmm. And I don't have, you know, sad relationship songs to write, which is great. <laughs> that would be awkward, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we have this house in Bristol, and I've, you know, just been revamping my attic studio. And I, yeah. I really feel like, and that's another big step forward for me, is actually um, giving myself permission to settle in because I've lived in 21 different houses in my life. Holy shit. Yeah. And not all of them with my, my parental moves. Like, okay. because once you get in a pattern, I think it's quite hard to break that. So then I lived in London for a long time and moved yeah. to different houses and uh, had maybe three houses in four houses in Bristol. So now I'm like, no, we're here. This is our, our house. We're staying yeah. here. Yeah. Maybe I could paint the walls three and a half years after moving <laughs> in. You know, don't do it too quick. Cause you know, something might change. Like the rug will be pulled out from under your feet sometime yeah. soon, you know? So I just, yeah, I'm very, um, takes me a while, but I don't think if the album hadn't happened, uh-huh. then I would be settling because right. it's all part of it. It's all part of life. It's not, a, my albums aren't something I do separately as a hobby that's just like a, a laugh and a joke over here and then the real life's here it's like it's all part of it yeah which can be a bit much but it's you know it's just what it is isn't it god i just that's just an alarming <laughs> amount of homes to have been. i've been in this place for 26 years oh wow yeah what's that like amazing i love it i was talking to one of the farmers recently who's just uh these are my friends that i speak to in the pub and he's over 70 years of age named terry Mm. And I said, uh, you know, happy, it was his 70th. And I was like, happy birthday, Terry. And uh, he said, uh, how long have you been here now? <laughs> and I said, uh, 26 years in April. Uh, and he says, oh, you're almost a local. 
Yeah. And I said, uh, that's very kind of you. How how long do I have to spend here before we enter a few old bastards will consider me a local? Oh, let's see. At least another 26. <laughs> And I, I like that around. I obviously love it here and I love the people yeah. around here because, uh, you know, I, I've had flats in London and had this place during mm-hmm. those 26 years, but um, not for the last 17 of those years. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's some, um, I mean, I'm, I'm often, I wouldn't say jealous. It's, I find it so interesting when someone's lived in one place. I, yeah. I don't have any, you know, negative opinions about it. I just think, wow. Like, and if you've had friends you've had since you were a kid, I don't have any friends I've had since I was a kid. We right. moved every three years. You yeah, can't hold yeah. on to people yeah, over yeah. that sort of time. Crazy. It's a totally different kind of life. Yeah. And so when I first started sharing my music on the internet and people liked it, I was like, oh, there, there is some connection I can make to the world uh-huh. that's based on the things that come out of me that are true. It's incredible yeah. Yeah. that people yeah. are so open to things, really. Yeah. No, it's a good way to connect. And you don't have to have a million quid. Yeah. <laughs> Go on then, and your third one. I'll say I'll start a fire because it's much more upbeat. <laughs> okay. Because I've talked about things that are like super duper sad and have changed my life for the better. Uh-huh. So we, we get it. Like there's a few of those <laughs> on this record too. A few more of those. But I'll start a fire was the second to last song I wrote for it. I wrote at the beginning of September last year. So it was during coronavirus times. Yeah. As we still are. And it's just a song about going, do you know what? Everything's fucked, but fuck it. The world's falling down around our ears. It was before this too, if we're honest. Like it's never been fine. I think everyone's always lived in interesting times. There's always someone in power doing something dreadful. But that cannot stop us from using our personal power to do something, to make a change in the world, whatever that change is. So that song is about saying, so what? Like there's all this stuff going on. Um, I'm supposed to be great at Instagram because I make music. These people over here might want me to shut up. You know, the music business is offering me and then has never offered me any support. I can't get on the radio. No one's going to review the album probably. But that doesn't mean that what I do doesn't have any value because everyone has value. Of course, yeah. Every song that someone writes that they don't put on SoundCloud is valuable. Yeah. Every drawing someone does that they don't put on Instagram is as valuable <laughs> as one that they do. If 76 people click like on a photo of me, it doesn't mean I've got 76 more points of value in the world. No. It just means that some people clicked on a thing who gives a shit, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'll start a fire is about. Okay. Just start a fire. I mean, don't start a fire though. No, that don't would be dangerous. Stuff. Yeah. It's definitely a metaphor. <laughs> Please don't start fires. <laughs> and it's just such a joy to make and it's just, it's just really fun. And so, yeah, I li- I really like that one. Good. And uh before we uh before we sign off, we got to give the honorable mention to your project with Dear Rat of Ned's Atomic Yay! Dustbin, Obey Robots. Yes. Uh, Let It Snow <laughs> is just an absolute triumph. That bass line of yours you. is just J.J. Burnell-tastic. <laughs> Do you know what? It felt like I was nicking it off someone, and I don't know who, but it just felt like that's that's just how it goes. I often feel like that about songs. This is just how this part goes. I go around just singing that bass line. It's brilliant. So what's <laughs> go? can we expect more from a collaboration with Rat? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. We've got loads of things on the boil. On cool. the boil? On the burn? On the boil? We've got loads of things on the go. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> um, once this record is out, I'm going to be turning my attention to that. I want there to be an album. That would be lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's so nice to, to, to work with someone 
else because I normally just make music on my own and to collaborate with someone who's got such great ideas like his his guitar parts is whenever I, I get sent anything by rat there's just I can just hear my vocal melodies immediately and that's yeah. something really beautiful yeah um it's not that simple obviously then you have to work at it but that, that they do they do jump to mind quite quickly and it's really lovely because he doesn't mind me like cutting it all up and moving it around and yeah stuff. yeah so we're then making songs out of I wouldn't say sketches because that implies they're not fully formed they're they're just really great parts and then we put them in, you know, the yeah. right place. Well, that's everything. what collaborating is, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I've, I've known Rat since probably 88 or 89, yeah. uh, but I only really feel like I got to know him in the last two or three years. Um, me, him and John from Ned's did uh, their acoustic album. I mean, they yeah. did all the playing. I just pressed the red button and recorded it for <laughs> them. Um, but while Rat was here you know, going over the edits and having a look at how I use Logic and then now mm. he's into all that himself. Um, he just said, you know, do you mind if I, before he got his home recording system, do you mind if I just record some ideas to be able to take home with me, maybe send them to John, they might be future yeah. Neds tracks. And it, I just straight away, anything. I mean, and I'm not just, when he said a few ideas, I was thinking three or four. We were up to about 20. Wow. And I'm like, Christ, I wish I had this much music in my head, you know? This um, is it. And that there's so much, yeah, I, that's what I think about so many people. There's so much trapped inside them. Yeah. Like, let it out. Yeah, yeah. And so I was thrilled. Out, I mean, the, the, yeah. when I heard uh, Let It Snow, I was thrilled for you, and but really thrilled for Rat because yeah. you've worked with lots of different other artists. Like, Rat's only ever been in the, the confines of the Neds. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's he's never stepped out of that. And, um, you know, he's, he's quite a private man. And yeah. and so for him to, and the track's so good. I was over the moon for him. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, please just make me an album of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm on it. If you've got nothing else to do, just knock a quick album up for me. <laughs> all right. All right, then I will. Yeah, it's going to be great. But yeah, that's basically all I've got for you, Laura. Um, Wonderful. It's been lovely talking. So are you going to take over the podcast next week for me? Jesus, no, no. <laughs> There's a lot of emails involved, actually. It's not, um, it's not as glamorous as it might appear. <laughs> no, immediately when I start thinking about doing things outside of sitting, uh, writing music or going out and playing music, I, I get the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So well, uh, You have to not let it become a distraction. This is the thing I'm dealing with, is making sure that everything is balanced so I can make as much music as I want Yeah. and, and need to make. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, being, and what is it? What do they call it? Social media influencer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to make things. No, but I think all, all of the episodes that I've listened to of this are, are amazing. I think you're amazing at it. You you have a natural talent to be a great conversationalist with all manner of different people, and I I think you can safely already consider it a success because the work itself is brilliant and speaks for itself. But I think you could really be sitting on top of something that's going to take you further. It's going to, it's going to take you to new places. You're, you're, you're really good at this. Thank you, Miles. <laughs> and thank you for listening to my album so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And I shall continue <laughs> to. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. That's all right. Thank you so much, Miles, for asking such great questions. Wasn't it lovely to have him back on the show? Make sure you go back and listen to episode 18 if you haven't already. I would love you to hear my new album. 
Described by Music Week magazine this month as essential, Exotic Monsters is more than two-thirds of the way towards getting in the official UK Top 40 chart, which is utterly bonkers for this independent project. If you'd like to help me show the world what's possible when we all come together to support one another, please do visit penfriend.rocks forward slash new album to get your copy. Attention Engineer will return in just a few weeks when I'll be sharing conversations with Juliana Hatfield, Shingi Shoniwa and Lou Barlow for crying out loud. And that's just for starters. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the album. Take care and I'll catch you soon.